Welcome to our podcast, All About the Car, brought to you by Sherrill Tire and Service. I'm your host, Rob Hoffman, an auto service specialist with over 44 years of industry experience. On the ride with me today, our regular guest, Brian Call, a 40-year veteran in the automotive industry. Hello, Brian. Hey, Rob. Great to be with you. Great to have you back. And Bill Sherrill, a guy that's logged a lot of miles behind the wheel and always has a lot of great questions. Welcome back, Bill. Thanks, Rob. Great day for a ride. Today we have a special guest on the drive, or maybe we're his guest, Gautam Malik of Gamber Johnson. Welcome, Gautam. Thank you. Excited to be part of this podcast. And we are happy to be on site. We're actually at Gamber Johnson in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. So that's pretty exciting for all of us. We are at Gamber Johnson's world headquarters. That's kind of a big picture thing. Gautam, if you could sum up Gamber Johnson in just one sentence, I know I'm asking the impossible here, but what would you say? We at Gamber Johnson, we are supporting technology to help save the world. And again, two things about the cause that we have. It's a grandiose cause. So what we do makes a difference, whether it is a firefighter fighting a fire or a first responder uh, responding to a 911 call. We are the company that connects the pieces together. I think that is saving the world. That's pretty good. That is saving the world. No, that really makes a lot of sense. (laughs) So you're really playing a big part in safety, in efficiency. So what applications exactly are your products designed for? So our kind of products that we design are for the rugged mobility. What I mean by that, these are not average iPhones, tablets that you're going to be using. So our product is designed for mission-critical equipment. So when you call 911, the call goes to dispatch. Dispatch knows where their assets are. And when I talk about asset, asset could be officer, asset could be a fire truck. We at Gamber Johnson, we make communication system to help first responders connect their radios. We are connected our rugged vehicle docking stations, are passing the GPS signals, passing the 4G, 5G technology. So the first responder can respond back to dispatch and say, hey, I'm going to be there in five minutes. <laughs> it is amazing. So, so from that standpoint, that equipment, what does that look like for you know, like the average consumer, for a police officer? on the ground, what are they carrying that is different than from the average consumer? So for average kind of police officer, there are two modes of communication that happen. One is using the radio frequencies. So one thing that the world realized was when 9-11 happened, if you guys recall, the cell phone towers were getting jammed. People were not able to communicate to each other. And as that was happening, the only thing that worked during that time was radio frequency. And one thing that we realized in the last 20 years is the amount of communication that's going to happen. You're always going to have two sets of communication. One is going to be using the radio frequency. The other is going to be using the wireless signal that we call. And uh, over the last 20 years, a lot of changes have happened from a communication standpoint. You guys may have heard about FirstNet. So what the government did after 9-11 was create a separate cellular network that would only be used by first responders. So you have a dedicated line of bandwidth that is going to be used by police, fire, ambulance, or in case of natural disaster by the utility companies. So what we are supporting with our product is 
the type of product that are used in that industry are rugged and you can take that tablet you can take that radio out in the element so those products can be dropped from six feet those products are waterproof so that is the kind of nature as if i'm a uh, line worker working outside after a hurricane and it's raining my equipment needs to work from a communication standpoint some of the statistics that we kind of publish in our industry our product is 99% reliable right when it comes to when you're going to have electronics the certain pieces that obviously are going to fail so the value proposition that we bring at gamber johnson is rugged reliable and responsive and the ruggedness is coming in on designing the product so when you put a gamber equipment product you know that this product is going to be good for 5 years of use and abuse by first responders the amount of engineering that goes into this is amazing because we're doing a ton of destructive testing similar to crash testing we are actually testing our product to a automotive spec to simulate what will happen if a cop is in a accident at 35 miles an hour right so we don't want that tablet radio or laptop to become a projectile and hurt somebody so the value proposition that we are bringing is is not only seamless communication but in case of a crash you don't want that computer tablet to become projectile so you want to make sure that when you have equipment when it's a matter of life and death you'll be able to communicate to your first responder and get the right people at right site and we play a huge role in that communication piece does your testing actually happen right here at the world headquarters actually yeah so the good thing about some of the relationships that we have at gamber johnson we work with the big manufacturers of tablets and laptops rugged laptops so we work with companies like samsung dell panasonic gtag zebra and with the relationship that we've have had with these companies we know of their product plan so we know what's coming down the pike in the next 18 months and as we are working with these OEMs we are testing our product we are giving that feedback back we are experts at putting those computers and tablets into vehicles and we are giving that feedback back to those people that hey this is how the design needs to be influenced to meet the needs of the first responders so having that relationship helps us to design product that would meet meet the specification in this market Does the military use your products? They do. So again, like communication is important from a military standpoint as well and uh, a few years back we had a contract and we actually outfitted about 45,000 military vehicles as wow. part of the contract and we were shipping product directly to Iraq. So we were not the prime but we are supporting subcontractor who was prime on the contract and we were shipping our mounts and cradles directly to Iraq. during desert storm. Oh, that's pretty uh prestigious really. Absolutely. It's great to be a part of uh, such a big cause for sure. So then on those devices, you know, like if I'm in a store as a as a general consumer, are any of your products available to the consumer market or I'm not going to see Gamber Johnson cell phone rug and cover at Radio Shack. Yeah, that. so for most of what we do is B2B transactions for a niche rugged mobility market. So you're not going to find because the laptops and tablets that the list price on these are $4,000, $3,000. So these that's are That's good information point. <laughs> <laughs> and same thing like you're talking about mission critical things, things that don't break. You're going to pay a premium for those. We do make product 
which is for consumers, but again, not a huge portion of what we do. Most of what we do is for the rugged mobility business. So speaking of rugged mobility, I would imagine that there is a part of the business out there in the way of recreational vehicles. I think I saw that on your website that you had some products for ATVs, UTVs, boating. Is that a small part of your business? It's a small part of the business, but it's also one of the kind of growing part of the business. We're good at mounting equipment. And as we've looked at diversifying and getting into different revenue streams for the market, that is one area that we've identified. And some of the cool things that we're doing in that market is we're coming up with new camos that are going to be on our mount. So if I'm a hunter, I'm going to have the matching camo that goes with my boat when I'm going duck hunting. So kind of a exciting, interesting market for us. But when it comes to mounting ATVs or even boats, we can do fish finders, we can mount your GPS, any equipment that you're going to need on that ATV, we're going to be your partner to mount that equipment. ATV business uh, has really become big. You just see them all over. Anytime you're driving rurally, they're on the roads these days. So, I mean, it's really going all different directions, which puts you in the driver's seat for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's not limited to ATVs. Like the world of rugged mobility, like if you look at inside a cab of a ag equipment, the amount of tablets that you see that are mounted, it's about being productive. So again, if I'm a say a company like AT&T, a company like Sears, right? You want your technicians to be generating revenue for you. And the use case is get rid of the paper process, right? So what you want to do is if I'm a technician who is going to be working on equipment, when I log in at eight o'clock, I go into my truck, I log in. The computer tells me that the next call is going to be at Bill's house and uh, his machine is not working. And it'll tell me that The customer complained that there is a noisy motor, maybe the bearing is going to be gone and you have a couple of bearings in your work truck. So I go in, I take care of that customer call and then by 10 o'clock I am done generating revenue for the company and then it tells me that, okay, the next call is going to be at Rob's house and I'm going to take care of a refrigerator. So again, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get your mobile worker more productive, get all the information on their finger trips. So if I'm a utility company, I'm not going to look at your meter. I'm going to basically drive around your neighborhood. My rugged laptop or tablet is going to wirelessly communicate to your meter. And automatically, you're going to see a bill pop up that you'll end up paying every month. So again, it's getting that information at your fingertips to make your mobile worker more productive is what we are trying to do. Product ideas just seem to be endless with this conversation. I think in five years, you're going to need a bigger building. (laughs) It's kind of like Jaws needing a bigger boat. It's just uh, going to get to the point where uh, it's just endless for you guys, for sure. So what's going through my head is you get this contract with the military. You got to design the equipment for the Humvee. So... How do you go about that? Do you actually bring a Humvee in and start measuring or? Yeah, so pretty much like if I don't want to get into detail, some of those kind of things are protected by NDA, but I'm going to kind of walk you through on a typical vehicle application on what happens. We are part of an upfitter group. So when it comes to the Ford Chryslers of the world, we've got an NDA with them. We are part of their select group of people that do upfitting for them. So similar to what happens on the computer side, we have great information coming in from the vehicle manufacturers or on what's coming down. So giving you an example about Ford F-150, they made a big buzz about creating all aluminum chassis. 
we knew about that project one and a half year before it became public knowledge. So we've got a team of engineers, mechanical engineers that would travel to Detroit. That happens every quarter. And sometimes it's like twice a quarter. And what happens is when we are going there, we do get access to the CAD. But a lot of times what CAD shows you compared to reality is two different things. So our engineers actually go down to Detroit and we get access to these prototype vehicles. And we're given like four kind of hours with that vehicle. We've been given the CAD beforehand. So when we go to these measuring sessions, we already have prototypes in hand that we are installing. And we never hit a home run the first time. But again, having access to those vehicles, having access to the CAD data before the launch is what kind of differentiates us from competition. Because for us, when we are doing a launch, when a computer OEM launches a computer, we want to make sure our accessories are available with that. When a vehicle OEM launches a new vehicle, we want to make sure that we've already designed the brackets that would attach to the vehicle for our equipment to be compatible with their vehicle. So again, those relationships is what kind of helps us. And having a team of 20 mechanical engineers that we have access to and we even have like new technology that we can take and we can scan a vehicle and it can generate that CAD for us. So in some cases, when we are working on special military vehicles, you don't get the CAD because some of these vehicles would have an inch and a half of armor underneath to prevent it from an IED blast. And the whole thing gets kind of refitted. And we've got access to a scanner that we can put on a tripod and we can scan that vehicle. And that becomes our CAD as a starting point for us to do that. And in some cases, we are going to these military bases to get those measurements coming back to our factory, designing our product. And then again, designing is an iterative process. You come up with a model, then you come up with a prototype, you try upfitting, and then you kind of refine your design from there. That's fascinating. That is yeah, fascinating. How long does that normally take on a vehicle situation? I mean, you said you knew about something a year and a half ahead. Is that timeline usually set? You always are looking three quarters, four quarters in advance that you're in that conversation. Yeah, typically so we are always, yeah. So we follow a process called sales and operations planning here at Gamber Johnson. And unlike a traditional company, we're not constrained by the yearly budgets, like everybody has a yearly budget. So what we do is every month we look at our budget four to 18 months because that is the visibility that we have from computer OEMs. That is the visibility that we have from the vehicle OEMs on what is coming down the pike. And we can literally plan our expenses around that because we know how many new products we're going to be launching. And the good thing about the kind of uh, technology segment that we play in, there is always change. There is always disruption. And the mindset that we have as a company is disruption is good. And there are two ways of looking at disruption. One would be people are going to get scared. They may go out of business. The culture that we have at Gamber Johnson is any disruption in the market is good. What do we got to do to use our core competency to leverage that and see what we can do to take that to the next level. And that's what kind of differentiates us from others. So when you are, happen to be, when somebody happens to be walking by a police vehicle and look inside, what percentage of all that technology is necessarily the odds of it being the Amber Johnson Mountain? Like, I mean, you just look in a vehicle today, it's like, okay, this is like, like a spaceship practically. Significant portion of the technology that's mounted. So again, like, 
we don't make the electronics, but we mount the electronics into the vehicles. So the first thing that you see in the police car, if you look at a police right. car, is going to be a push bumper. Gamber Johnson makes the push bumper. Now, what is a push bumper? So a bumper. Wow. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> know that. Yeah. You, again, like he was talking about, a lot of times these cops you see on those kind of videos, they do a pit maneuver and they basically push a car. So what we have is our push bumper for the police segment comes in uh, kind of two material types. One is aluminum and one is steel. It also protects you in case you run into a deer. The first thing that's going to hit is going to be the push bumper, which is made out of steel or aluminum. And small kind of maneuvers like uh, pushing a car, you could do it without impacting your car or your airbag being deployed using our push bumper. So that's the first piece of uh, technology. The second thing that... I think there's a lot of people who would buy that push bumper. <laughs> there's a lot of people that should have one, yes. <laughs> Uh, the second piece of equipment that you see in a police car is you're going to have those cameras that are mounted and you're going to have those scanners for the radar detector. So again, we make equipment to mount those cameras into the vehicle. In the middle between the driver and the passenger seat is a center console made out of sheet metal. And that's where all the radios go in. On top of that, you're going to find a motion attachment. So what we're doing is in a vehicle... You can have officers of every size and you want to make sure that when they're using a laptop or tablet, there is ergonomics. You can move, you have the tilt and the swivel. So we would have some sort of a motion attachment go on top of the center console. And then on top of that would be our docking station that would hold the computer. And in addition to holding that computer, you're going to pass all the signals. So you're going to pass GPS, you're going to pass 5G, you're going to have different types of data that's going to be transmitted. You're going to be connecting your printer in case you ever get pulled by a car. He kind of gives you a ticket. <laughs> no. You're going to do that. <laughs> I've never seen this equipment, but I, I think I have. <laughs> and then behind the police officer, you're going to find a partition. So that's the partition between uh, kind of the driver passenger seat and the back. And you manufacture that as well. What's the weight of all of that equipment? Is it substantial enough to change at times, the load bearing on the vehicle? It does. Like So again, it doesn't change the load bearing, but again, it kind of is a great segue into kind of the next aspect or the next evolution of Gamber Johnson. So Gamber Johnson was founded in 1954, making wooden furniture. We are putting furniture. Furniture. That's how kind of the company started. Home furniture. Yeah, we were. That's and, crazy. Uh, when we are done, <laughs> I'll give you a tour, kind of show you some of the old pieces of equipment. And we would put, uh, we would make these stereo cabinets. We would put speakers into cabinets. And in early 70s, one of the truck drivers came to us and said, hey, I would need to mount a CB radio. And that's how the company kind of pivoted. And we started making a line of kind of mounts for CB radios. And I wish we would have trademarked the name docking stations then. We called it a slide mount. And what you could do is you could kind of take a CB radio and you would slide it into our mount. It would lock it. And as the first request was just a holder, the second request was, hey, your mount is great. I can secure my radio, but what do we got to do to keep it charged? And you're talking 70s, the battery life was, we still complain about battery life. So yeah. I can't even imagine <laughs> what it was in 70s, right? <laughs> so we came up with a few pogo pins that started to kind of charge your CB radio. And the next evolution that happened is anytime you put a radio into a metal cap, the signal strength goes down. 
So the next request that came in was if I was going to use the external antenna, can, can that signal be passed using our mount? We came up with a patented line in 1978 called slide mounts, but I wish we could have called that like docking station because everybody thinks about that as a docking station now. So to kind of answer Bill's question, weight is obviously going to be an important consideration as we move forward. We worked with a few clients that deliver groceries. They were the big kind of customer of ours in UK. And for them, it was everything was about weight. And the reason why it was, these guys were, they, they had a warehouse, a big, massive warehouse with huge amount of automation and they were delivering groceries in London. So in London, you don't move a whole lot, but the traffic is always slow in and around London. So what they did was when I looked at their, and they were using one of the global platforms, then they had a Sprinter van. And in that Sprinter van, the only thing they had was a seat for the driver. There was no seat for passenger. And I'm like, hey, this kind of looks weird. And they're like, hey, it's all about how much cargo we can have. And for them, every pound that they can get off, they can add that into groceries and you can have a different order. And these guys had that as a science because one thing I realized was these guys were not filling up their cars complete. So when a sprinter was going out, it was strategically filling up to like half from a gas standpoint because then you've got more cargo and more weight. And I would say like the European Union is, I would say 10 to 15 years ahead of us when it comes to green. So they already have a regulation that... Uh, Starting 2030, you're not going to have cars that would have IC engines. So you got to think about hybrids. You're going to talk about electric vehicles that go in. But that same paradigm shift is going to come in U.S. as well. Too. And, and to answer your question, a few weeks back, we were contacted by Madison PD and they have a few Teslas. Oh, and wow. Yes, I see. We are designing product. And again, like when it comes to a electric vehicle, everything is going to be, the distance is going to be based on the payload that you're going to have. So the next kind of evolution that's going to happen with Gamber Johnson are going to be up until now, we've used aluminum, we've used steel. All of these are great products, but again, they weigh a lot. So as we design the future technology of what goes into EV, we have to look at different manufacturing methods. We have to look at product that is made out of composites, plastics, that has the strength, but also is lightweight because every pound, every couple of pounds that we can save is going to help those vehicles go much further. It makes you wonder when that call from NASA is going to be coming. <laughs> You're going to be in space pretty soon from the way it sounds. And uh, it's just a lot of really proud to have you be from Stevens Point here. The uh, same town that we do business in. It's just really, really a cool thing. Speaking of big picture, I mean, when was the point in time when Gamber Johnson really was considered global? Because your humble beginnings, furniture, home furniture right here in Stevens Point. When was that point where y'all looked at each other and said, hey, we're global? So kind of an interesting story. The reason why we got into exports, the reason why we started looking at world uh, was during the 2008 recession. So the 2008 recession comes in, uh, like every company, our sales kind of go down. And for us, we did not see the dip right away because the spending in public safety is based on what the collections were last year. So. 
for us we did not see it right away in 2008 by the time we saw it it was like 2009 and 10 is when we saw that decline coming in because the tax collection were lower so at that time we are looking at what are the things that we can do out of the box to help us take the products that we have overseas and what we did was at gamber johnson we worked with wmep which is the wisconsin manufacturing extension partnership and they have a great program called export act and the senior leadership uh, brian wagner who's my partner ceo brian and i enrolled into that export act program which was like a 3 month program and as part of the program we came up with a strategic kind of approach and that became one of our pillars for us to grow so we decided to conquer the world but not at once but three countries at a time so that program basically to- taught us how to be strategic about exporting how to be a proactive exporter rather than reactive exporter up until that point if we got a order we fulfilled the order but again the customer had to pay us in advance when they gave us the order and we were more than happy so all the risk was taken by the customer and after we kind of graduated out of the program we had a playbook we knew what our revenue is going to be 3 years after exporting our product one thing that we realized as we started looking at world as our market was things were going to be different i grew up in india driving on the wrong side of the road uh, right hand drive <laughs> all relative and now you're saying it's the wrong side of the road <laughs> <laughs> the reality is about 25% of the world population drives on the wrong side of the road So as we were coming up with certain things like right-hand drive, left-hand drive, different makes and models in North America the cars were much bigger. When we started exporting the number one selling police car was Crown Victoria. You could put put a 13-inch laptop into that. So as a company we had to decide that if we're going to play in that overseas market for the overseas market small was big. So the smaller the tablet size and and there were times when the likes of Panasonic were not even bringing that tablet to North America because the form factor was too small but that was a great product for the European market so as a company we had to decide that okay if we're going to play in that market we're going to invest into resources and we're going to have a product portfolio that's only going to be for export it's not going to be for North America the other kind of change or difference that i see in the market was the North American market was driven more by windows so windows was the golden kind of everything was on windows and the overseas market android with the adoption of tablet android was nobody wanted to pay a premium for the windows they wanted open source they wanted their own app developers to write their program because a lot of times what they were doing was they were getting rid of paper pen and paper process they were automating processes on home delivery they were automating process on utility outages when you go to a customer you take care of a issue you come back and use that tablet to do that and in 2012 is when we kind of strategically kind of pivoted and said we're going to look at and that has kind of changed in the way we design a product now when we are designing a product for us it's important is the cord going to come from right hand side or left hand side because depending upon how the product is going to be used it's going to bump into somebody's knees right So is there a way that we can have a product that's going to work for both right-hand drive, left-hand drive or what we do today is depending upon the drive the cables are getting out on one side for North American products and then for like Singapore, Australia the product is being configured and the cables are coming out from the other side. The other thing that we had to do was from regulatory compliance. In US when we are selling our product 
the only mark that we need is SEC. When you're selling in Europe, you need CE mark. But when we are selling our product in South Korea, we need a KCC mark. When we are selling our product in Saudi Arabia, you need the SASO mark. When we are selling our product in Australia, you need the CTEC mark. Now, when we were kind of starting in 2012, we had to gain all that knowledge. So what we are doing today is we work with our computer manufacturers and we say, okay, what are the countries that you guys are planning on launching this product? We know what regulatory compliance is going to be needed. And when we are launching the product, we know that we're good to go. We're golden 44 countries day one when we launch the product. If we need to sell into Russia and we need the gold certification, we know how to get that. But at this point, if there is no business case until the opportunity comes in, we're not going to do that. The other thing that we had to do was because the product was smaller, we did not have a product line and kind of went in in our M&A acquisition. We acquired a company called Zircona out of Sweden. And they had the right portfolio with the right pattern on the ball and socket joint because we saw that market pivoting in that direction. Smaller form factor, more of a universal type of mount that could be used across a variety of product line. And that's the product actually that we are pivoting and taking into the ATV and the boat side of the business. Mm. So kind of exporting started in 2012, a uh, little long answer, but again, a very strategic approach in exporting. Fast forward to 2021. We are shipping product to 48 countries consistently. We've got outside US and Canada, five sales manager. So we've got a sales manager that does Latin America based out of Mexico City. Our international sales director is based out of UK. And we've got another sales manager out of Europe and Poland. We've got another sales manager based out of Bangalore and India that does Asia Pacific. And then for New Zealand and Australia, we've got another sales manager who's based out of Sydney. And these are all a part of Gamber Johnson. These are all part of Gamber Johnson. Uh, these are people selling our product. So it doesn't matter. Like the good thing is having a global sales team. Even when the factory is shut, those orders keep coming in because it's like when we are done, it's eight o'clock in Australia and they start, <laughs> <laughs> they go to work. At 24 that time. Well, And I think that just in talking on that global level, that all about the car that we think of as Westerners, you think of one image of a vehicle. And what you've just brought to light is that vehicles are not the same throughout the world in that transportation isn't the same. And just down to the basic, which side of the road do you drive on is only a starting point of the differences between transportation. Absolutely. I never would have thought of that angle. I just figure you hold a mirror up and you can reproduce that part in an opposite. <laughs> but, right. Then we get into connectivity when we don't even oh, go there. I'm sure it's man. all different in every different country. <laughs> That's definitely big picture stuff for sure. As with every All About the Car podcast, we always break away and take a road trip Wisconsin and visit a very interesting place somewhere in the great state of Wisconsin. Today, we are going to the EAA grounds or museum over in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So that's on the eastern side of the state. And I'm sure many of you have heard of the EAA show, but the museum, it can actually go there all year long. Any time of the year, it's all indoors. Most of it's indoors. You can cross across the field to some of the vintage hangars and see some of the planes there, weather permitting. But the EAA Museum is just absolutely amazing. I think there's over 200 different aircraft on display under the roof. Let's start with, first of all, EAA. 
Experimental Aircraft Association. That's that it. Correct? That's yeah, it. That's correct. Yeah, we always refer to it as EAA. Yeah. And does anybody really know what that was? So that's a good point. What you're going to see. Beautiful facility. And like I said, most of us know about the big fly-in once a year. And that typically happens in towards the end of July. And just amazing. But let's just focus in on the museum portion of the EAA. There's a lot of featured aircraft that they have. There's just four that comes to mind as we sit here today. And that is one of them is a North American Mustang. Yes, the Mustang does fly. It is an airplane. It's a lot of vintage uh, information on that airplane that's in the museum. Also, they have a Spirit of St. Louis replica. And from what I've heard, there's actually two of them. When I was there years ago, I think there was only one, but they have a couple of those. And Bugatti. Now, when I say Bugatti, that sounds like a car to me, but they were heavy into uh, aircraft engines back in the day as well. And that was back in 1938 that they actually fit this aircraft with an engine. And many other ones there on display. There's a lot of interactive displays. Uh, Brian, have you been there? Yeah, I went over there one time. It's a fascinating place to go visit. You could easily spend two to three hours. Uh, oh, goodness. <laughs> you could probably spend a day. More than that. Yeah, if you decided to read all of the uh, information on these things, there's a... Uh, Quite a few, like I said, interactive parts of the museum. Some of those things they've backed off just a little bit with the COVID situation that we're in right now and have been for a while, but still definitely the best place to go if you're into aircraft or just love history in general. What are the hours of operation? They're open Monday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. So that gives you plenty of time. I know there's uh, hotels and motels in that area if you decided to make a weekend of it. I do have to admit there happens to be an outlet shopping mall right across the street, right across the street. <laughs> there is pretty popular so if you're too not really into the museum aspect you could always leave somebody in the outlet malls absolutely and the children five and under are free just gotta kind of keep a watch on them because they yeah. tend to <laughs> run and veer off to the side for sure there's a family rate like for a family for 31 bucks to get in group rates are available really a popular place to take uh, groups or uh, class groups church groups for sure Well, make sure you put the EAA Museum into your plans for the future. It's a great place in our great state of Wisconsin. Back to Gambert Johnson in Stevens Point. And we have Gautam Malik here and uh, learning a lot about their business. We're at their world headquarters. Let's talk a little bit about the new world headquarter building that we're sitting in right here. It's just absolutely beautiful. I've been by this building many times over the years as uh, it is actually located along part of our trail system called the Green Circle here in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. But the transformation that I've seen in the last six to eight months is just amazing. Absolutely beautiful. First time we've been inside the building and I can tell a lot of work has gone into it. And you just recently had an open house celebration, I believe, in September of this year. That is correct. How did that go? Awesome. Like, uh, we had about 89% employee participation, 450 kind of family, friends, and community members were part of the open house celebration. Perfect weather, had a live band playing that spicy tie. Oh, nice. Oh. Nice. <laughs> So this was actually not just inside, but outside in the parking lot as well. You said nice weather. Yep. So this building that you're in was built by Jerns Manufacturing back originally, correct? Yeah, so the building was started in 1972. And when we looked at the building, the building has been vacant. Jerns kind of exited out of the Gamber Johnson market in 2012. 
and the building was vacant since and instead of kind of building a new building we decided why not kind of renovate the existing building looked at all the possibilities of what could happen if you have a vision and if i given bill you a tour of the right. building you would have said what are you thinking <laughs> a year back <laughs> so it took about 6 months for us to do the design and the construction phase took an year because of covid things were moving a little slow the lead times were longer but one of the most kind of exciting things about this building that even every day when i come to work kind of good gives me goosebumps is the possibilities of kind of innovation collaboration of teamwork when everybody kind of works together we've got just on the office site 38000 square feet of office space with no individual office in it so what we have at gamber johnson unlike a traditional company that has what i call silos so you have engineering department you have purchasing department you have manufacturing engineering department what we do unique at gamber johnson is we have co-located teams that are given the boundaries to work in and they are managing the portfolio from cradle to grave and what i mean by that is they are responsible for bringing a new product to market but they are also responsible for when there is the end of life on that product make sure that we don't have a huge inventory exposure when that product goes obsolete so it's important for us that collaboration and teamwork that happens in the four walls we push the envelope of innovation by having teams that work together and collaborate on projects. I can't see how it could happen any other way with the diversity of your products and the growth that you experience. So, how many square foot or feet is this building total? So, the world headquarters in Stevens Point is uh, 133,000 square feet. Oh my gosh. And so what's under the roof? I mean, you mentioned some of the different departments and more of the administrative part of it, but research and development yeah absolutely that is bread and butter of what we do we've got about 22 design engineers manufacturing engineers kind of doing innovation on a daily basis we've got the core team that does buying we've got the core team that does product marketing how the product is going to be used what needs to be conveyed from a marketing standpoint to the world we've got a sales team but most of the sales team is outside selling our product but we do have inside sales the team of six inside sales team that we have we've got on the manufacturing side a team that does assembly so we are kind of assembling the product we are testing the product we are picking packing shipping the product uh, entire warehousing is happening here in addition to that we've got IT department of six because it's not only what we have here we do have satellite offices so we do have a office in Madison that has 11 people We have a satellite office in Bria, Southern California that has 14 associates. We own a company in Canada, our subsidiary called PMT. We've got 44 Canadian employees that are part of the Gamber Johnson team. And we also run a 3PL warehouse out of Amsterdam to service our European customers. So how do you handle the installation of your products? Is that Gamber people doing the installation or do you... provide here's the here's the product with some instructions so bill like uh, one of the like one thing you're going to realize as you become a global company the rules and regulation in every country are different so strategically the approach that we've done is we do the innovation on designing the product and making sure that it'll meet the automotive requirements it'll meet the computer oem requirements but when it comes to installation we don't do the install 
and that kind of works out to our advantage because the business model that we have is we provide the hardware and there are multiple pieces of technology that needs to go on these cars so when you're talking about police cars the upfitter is working on not only our equipment but also the radios also the lights and sirens that go on that also on the decal of Stevens Point PD has their own decals so all of those pieces have to come together so we give the instructions on how the product needs to be installed but we work with a great install base all over the world and these people are experts in installing that technology into vehicles so similar to the kind of relationship that you have with Ford Ford does not do your service right they're working with shuttle tires when somebody needs the tires so again that's the business model that we have that we give the training and we work with people that do that for a living 24/7 and we are one piece of the cog that helps them deploy that technology into the vehicles so the installers need to become certified that is correct gamber johnson certified gamber johnson certified so if a local police department decided to bring all their their squad cars their new line over here you probably would not install it we do a lot as uh, in the community for helping out our police departments but we would typically have them go to one of our installers to get the product installed but there are times when like when we're launching a new product a new vehicle comes in and we've got a new product that we would like to get feedback from we work with Stevens Point PD we work with Plover PD so that is the time we would in- do the installation in those vehicles and as part of doing that installation what we're trying to get is we're trying to get raw feedback from people that are using the equipment which is going to be the police officer right when you have a new product that needs to go into a new car you want to get that first hand feedback so that is the time when we work with local pds do the installation but it's more on r&d side of things as part of doing that and there are times when covid happened and the portage county wanted to if upfit multiple vehicles that could be used as ambulances not only did we donate the product we also installed the product into vehicles so in a police car you've got a partition that is between the cop and the person that's going to be in the back of and a lot of times you've got unruly passengers in the back trying to kick you and having a partition made out of steel aluminum definitely kind that's of That's an important piece. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and that's part of the rugged portfolio that we have at Gamer Johnson and then in the back of the vehicle is the secured storage solutions. So if I'm a police officer and I have a weapon that I need to secure, I need a trunk solution that can be locked in such a way that it can be opened. And then a lot of technology is now being mounted in the back of the vehicle. A lot of times they're going to have different kind of electronics that go in. They would have a spare battery because of the amount of equipment that goes in and that spare battery is being mounted in the trunk of the vehicle and that's where kind of Gamber Johnson puts all the solutions together. as part of the complete package. So Gamber Johnson actually designs and produces or manufactures those strong boxes in the yep. back. Yes, we do. Yes, we From do. It's a kind of an front of the vehicle all the way to the rear bumper. Bumper to bumper. Do, do, do you do anything with the back bumper? <laughs> Not yet, but Not yeah. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say bumper to bumper yeah. just yet. Not quite. Close. Bumper to almost to the bumper. Yeah. There we go. Perfect. Well, we've learned a lot today about a local Stevens Point company that's gone global. Thank you to our host, Gautam Malik from Gamber Johnson for spending valuable time and hosting our on-site all about the car podcast session. Well, all the right pieces are in place for a perfect storm. 
you might say, and the future belongs to Gamber Johnson. So we hope to have you right along next time on All About the Car. To listen to previous episodes, find additional resources, or to simply send us a message, head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.